2 today, 1 John chapter 2. Good to see everybody here today, a couple people out. Good crowd though, good crowd today. Thank you for being here, appreciate it. 1 John chapter number 2. It's always funny how the Lord does things in life. Um, you're preaching through 1 John and a lot of it is about, uh, not a lot of it, it is about the Christian. Uh, it's for the Christian, uh, a letter to Christians, and a lot of it is teaching us how to behave, how to um, love people. And, uh, and just like that, the Lord throws a situation in my lap where i got to practice what I preach. And uh, it's, it's just fun how that works. And uh, God has used the time that I've been reading and studying and preparing in 1 John to make sure I'm applying it in my life as well, which is a fun, uh, a, a great thing to have the, the necessary things to, to know how to respond correctly to certain people and things, situations in life. And that's what I'm really hoping, that's what I've been praying that 1 John will do for us. It'll give us the tools that we need to go and live our daily lives the way that God wants us to live them and that we can put it to practice. And I believe that pretty much everything here in 1 John that we're looking at is things that we pretty much come across on a pretty regular basis. It's something that we can apply to our lives uh, on nearly a daily basis. And I'm praying that God will use 1 John in your life the same way that He's using it in my life. And it's been really helpful for me to go through this again. So 1 John chapter 2, today we're going to look at the first 11 verses in the chapter. But for sake of just text and, and, and context here, let's start verse number 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Father, I pray that You'd help us today as we look in these verses. And we continue to look at this letter that's written to us as Christians. Uh, that, Lord, we would apply these things to our life, that we would uh, uh, feel compassionate to those who You are compassionate to. Lord, that we would be obedient uh, the way that You've asked us to be. And, Lord, that we just understand better who You are and what You're capable of. Uh, Lord, I know that will help us to live obediently to You. So help us, I pray, as we look at these verses. Help me to present them clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here, we looked at chapter 1 last week and the fellowship that God intended for us. The idea that God is light and there's no darkness in Him. And, and if we are going to have fellowship with God, we too have to walk in the light as God is light. And the importance of having that open fellowship with God uh, that we can go to Him and ask for our needs, ask for wisdom, ask for counsel, and receive everything that we're asking as we transition into chapter 2, we see the first two verses here are going to show us a fellowship maintained by Christ. Fellowship maintained by Christ. We, we have our part to maintain the fellowship, but ultimately fellowship is maintained by Christ. Uh, what Christ does for us, what Christ has done and is doing for us, maintains the open fellowship that we can have with God. And we see here in these first two verses that we just read, this maintenance that Christ does for us. Remember, we are told here in verse number 1 of chapter 2 that the purpose of this letter, the reason why this letter is being written and given to Christians is that ye sin not. That's the purpose. 
It's, it's instruction so that we can know how to live. So that we can live right. So that we can do right. So that we can be right. That's the whole purpose of this letter. And he says it there in verse number 1, right? My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. That's the purpose. To make sure that we are given then the instruction so that we know how to live. So that we know what to live. So that we are there doing what God desires for us to do. That's the purpose. To help us to, uh, to run from sin. To help us to avoid sin. To help us to live uh, uh, without that sin. But he also tells us, just as he told us in chapter 1 and verse number 9, he tells us here in, in, as well that, that we have a propitiation for our sins. That the fact is, is that even though he writes us that we sin not, he says that if we do sin, it says there in verse number 1, if any man, man, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's not that, that he says, I write this letter unto you and you'll never sin again. No, he says, I write this letter to you so that you won't sin, so that you know how to live. He says, but if you sin, understand, know that you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thing for us to have here to understand that as Christians, again, 1 John has written to Christians, so as Christians, that when we sin, he says in chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says in chapter 2 that if we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who will go to the Father for us and advocate, advocate on our behalf. What a wonderful thing. I have a good lawyer. I don't know if you knew this or not, um, but I do. I have a good lawyer. And uh, I've known, known him for a while now. He was in our church in Indiana. Uh, he was actually my deacon in Indiana as well. I starred on his TV commercial uh, in Indiana. And, uh, but uh, uh, I appreciate him. He helps me. Uh, we'll send him questions, ask counsel, things like that, legal things. And I'm very appreciative of him. If I ever got into legal trouble, I know that he would help me any way that he could. He would advocate on my behalf. He would do his part the best way that he could. But you know what? He's not perfect. Um, he's not won every case that he's done, although pretty close to it. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not done everything uh, perfect. Jesus Christ advocates on my behalf to God the Father. He goes to God when God says, Vince is a rotten, filthy, wicked person. And Jesus Christ goes and he stands before God and he says, No, Vince is a forgiven child of God. And he advocates on my behalf. And he's never wrong. He never messes up. He never loses. He's perfect. So the letter is written to me so that I know how to not sin, so that I know what God desires for me. But when I mess up, it's important for me to understand that I have an advocate in Jesus Christ who maintains my fellowship. That promise of meek, if I confess, then he'll forgive, stands for eternity. And so he advocates on my behalf. That's a wonderful thing. He maintains that fellowship by advocating for us. The word advocate here is, is the same word as comforter. It's the same word that's used when he talks about that God sends a comforter in the Holy Spirit to us. It's the same, same word here. He's a comforter. An advocate comforts you. He says, hey, calm down. It's okay. I've got this. I'm here for you. He's an advocate for me. 
In verse number 2, he uses another big word, uh, and he says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The idea is, in the Old Testament, they would put up sin offerings. They would go to the, the tabernacle and they would, they would have a sin offering. That is what the propitiation is. Christ is the sin offering for me. He has paid a price for me. He has, he has offered Himself as a sacrifice for me. He's the propitiation for my sins. Advocacy is for the believer. Propitiation is for the world. He says there in verse number 2 that He is the propitiation for our sins. Again, the letter written to us Christians. But He says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, what does that mean? That word their world is the word, co the word cosmos in the Greek. It's used 187 times in the Bible. Some familiar passages that maybe you'll know in Matthew 5. It says, ye are the light of the world. Cosmos, same word. He says in John chapter 3, God so loved the world. Same word. In Romans 5, it says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed up, up all men, for that all have sinned. The same word of world. And so he says here in verse number 2 that Christ is the sin sacrifice. He's a sacrifice that was made not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What, who is salvation available to? Well, it's available to the people who God loves. Who does God love? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The same world that by, by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, that same world that has been infiltrated with sin is the same world that God loves. And boy, we have a hard time understanding that sometimes because we think, well, some people aren't very lovely. Well, that's true. But that's what makes God so great, is God, even those who will disappoint Him for their entire life, God still loves them. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And when He was made a propitiation, He says that He was a propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. God is capable of anything. God is able to do anything. God's love surpasses my understanding. I'm telling you, there are things, you look at the people in this world, you read stories or, or hear stories about some of the horrible crimes that go on in this world, you think, that person's unlovable. Well, maybe for me he is, but not for God. And what's sad is sometimes we say, well, that person's not worthy of God's love. You know what? You're right. Neither am I. Neither are you. It's not about being worthy. Because God is worthy. It's not about being um, eligible. Because God loves you. That mindset that God can't love me because of what I've done is wrong. It's against everything in the Bible. It's important for us to understand that your sin, no matter how bad, or maybe you don't think it's very significant, but it is, God still loves you. 
And God still gave, sent His Son Jesus for you. And Jesus still died on the cross for you. And Jesus still got victory for you when He rose from the dead. And He says all you have to do is receive the gift. If I were to put out a... And I'm not going to, so don't get too excited. If I were to put out a bowl of chocolate this morning, and I say, I've bought chocolate today. It's for anybody who wants it. And let's say a lot of people came up and grabbed some chocolate. Maybe a few hid some in their pockets, grabbed a handful. And they walked out. You came back the next week and you said, Pastor, I'm upset. I said, oh. That's not good. What are you upset about? He said, I didn't get any chocolate last week. I said, oh, did we run out? Nope. I just didn't get any. Well, what do you mean? Well, it was up there at the front of the church, and I didn't want to go up there and get it. I didn't get any. So I'm upset. I didn't get any chocolate. Whose fault would it be that they didn't get any chocolate? It'd be theirs. Because it was available to them, but they never came and got it. It's a silly illustration, but it's important for us to understand God's love, God's forgiveness, God's salvation is available. If you don't get it, that's on you. It's not God's fault. If you die on this earth and you go to hell, if you look up and shake your finger at God and say, why didn't you save me? It's not God's fault. It's available to you. The Bible says, whosoever. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. John 3, 16. Whosoever shall receive. The gift is there. It's available. You have to receive it. Nobody can receive it for you. Nobody can come up here to get the chocolate and go hand it to you. You've got to come get it yourself. And if you do, God will save you. And if you don't, as mean as this sounds, you'll spend eternity in hell. God was made a propitiation. Christ was made a propitiation for your sins. Will you receive them? Have you received them? It is solely up to you. And when you do receive them, he becomes an advocate for you. Martin Luther said, I don't quote Martin Luther very often, but Martin Luther said, Thou too art part of the world, so that thine heart cannot deceive itself and think, the Lord died for Peter and Paul, but not for me. It tells us here in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 2, he was made a propitiation, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. The rest of the verses that we're looking at this morning kind of go away from the maintenance of fellowship to the test of fellowship. How can I know that I have fellowship with God? How can I know that the line is open? How can I know that there's nothing hindering the fellowship with God? And that's what I want to look at the rest of the time. It honestly won't take us much time. I apologize to the nursery workers who are hoping to spend hours in the nursery this morning. The test of fellowship. It really comes down to two words, obedience and love. How do I know that I have fellowship with God? How do I know that there's no, nothing hindering my fellowship with God, obedience and love. Look in verse number 3. The Bible says, And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. The idea here of know Him is not the idea of salvation. 
Because remember, this is written to Christians. The idea is fellowship. How do we know that we know Him? How do we know that the relationship is right? How do I know that, that it is a, 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 an active relationship? How do we know that we know Him? Well, it tells us here, one of the ways that we know that we know Him is if we keep His commandments. Obedience. Are you obeying God? If you're not, your fellowship's hindered. We can know that our fellowship with God is clean, it is right, it is open, it is pure, if we keep His commandments. Obedience. Verse number 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's interesting because it says in verse number 10 of chapter 1, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. It talks about lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves in other verses. In verse number 4, it says, if we say I know him, but I don't keep his commandments, I'm a liar, and the truth is not in him. Fellowship is only open if we're obeying God. Well, what if we're obeying God 90% of the time? Fellowship's hindered. So many Christians have kind of made it in their life situations where they say, we're going to obey God here, and we're going to obey God here, and we're going to obey God here, but in this one little thing, it's just one little thing, we're going to keep doing what we want to do. Fellowship's hindered. You say, boy, I'm doing really good. I'm doing better than I've ever done in my life before. It just doesn't seem like my prayers are getting answered. And boy, I'm working hard. I'm doing right. I'm doing all these things. I, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I, I, I'm telling you, I was really bad for a while, but now I'm doing really good. But my prayers aren't getting answered. But you see, there's a difference between doing really good and keeping God's commandments. Just because I used to be here and now I'm here doesn't mean I'm obeying God in all things. And that's the way we look at it oftentimes. We scale it. We'll say, well, God knows, man, I used to be a, a liar and I used to be a, 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 a covetous and I used to do this and I used to do that and now I've, I've gotten rid of all those things. I'm not doing that anymore. I still gossip, but it's not as bad as what I used to do. Well, you're not keeping God's commandments. Well, I'm still, I still covet money, but I don't do all the things I used to do. You're not obeying God's commandments. Well, I'm still a little prideful, but I'm not doing all these things, and you're not keeping God's commandments. And the Bible says we can know that we know Him if we keep His commandments, and if we're not keeping His commandments, and we say that we do, or that we say that we, that we know God, that we fellowship with God, well, we're a liar. Verse number 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, completed, uh, satisfied. Hereby know we that we are in him. If we keep his word, obedience. I've said it before, you can't keep the word if you don't know the word. You're not going to obey God's word if you don't read God's word. Because if you're not reading God's word, you're not obeying God's word. Whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. We all desire the love of God. God loves us. But do you want to experience the fullness of God's love? Then you obey God. You keep his word. 
a little bit of God's love is better than none of God's love. But the completed love of God, the perfected love of God, the fulfilled love of God, there is no better place that you can ever be. But you only get there if you're obeying God. We as Christians, we minimize the importance of obedience. Again, we, we, I call it the Christian bubble. I grew up in um, a Christian home, in church every week, uh, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, youth group, Awanas, um, ministry, uh, uh, Christian school. And I think all that's great. But I began to view the world from within my Christian bubble. And I would hear my youth pastor talk about alcohol and drugs and smoking and all these things. And I thought, boy, I've never done any of that to this day. So my sins, my youth pastor's not preaching about my sins. My sins must be okay. And every now and then, maybe he would hit on one of my sins. But it seemed like the focus were on all these things that, that were bigger, badder, more wicked. So from within my little Christian bubble, I was doing all right. Because I wasn't as bad as them. But the older I got, the more obedient I got to God's Word, the more I read God's Word, the more I realized that my bubble got bursted that my sin was just as bad as their sin. That even though preachers will preach against uh, immoral lifestyles, it's a popular, popular preaching point right now, the homosexual lifestyle that has just invaded our society. Boy, we'll preach on that all day long and we'll say, amen, yeah, that's bad, that's evil, that's wicked. And I'm not doing that, so my sin, it's okay. I've realized, no, God actually hates my sin as much and sometimes more. Someone who, who claims to be a follower of God, someone who obeys God, someone who, who uh, uh, is, is, if I can use the word religious, God hates religious activity with a wrong heart. Read throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how God views the Pharisees. That's what they are. They're religious zealots. They, they, they abide by strict guidelines and standards. But their hearts were wicked. And they looked around at everybody else and said, You wicked people. You remember the, the illustration of the two men praying? And there was the one man who was sitting there and quietly praying and crying and begging God for forgiveness. And then there was the Pharisee or the religious man who sat there and said, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like this guy. You know who God, I'll use the word hates, is that Pharisee. His heart is wicked. His actions might look good. His heart is wicked. And that Pharisee, all of them, looked around the world around them, society around them and said, oh, that society is so wicked. It's so bad. And we are so good. I have no idea, but I would assume the large majority of those Pharisees are burning in hell today. 
Because God doesn't go, oh, you're religious, so good job. No, he says, are you obeying me? You can't be selfish. You can't be prideful. You can't be arrogant. You can't be judgmental. You can't be hateful. You can't hate your brother. You can't hate your neighbor. You can't hate your enemy. And follow me. You can't do it. But yet as Christians, we are the Pharisees so often. Or we think, hey, those people are wicked. I'm good. Are you obeying God's word? Are you being fully obedient? If you're not, you're a liar. You don't have fellowship with God. You're just muddling around in your own filth. And we're guilty of it, aren't we? We do it far too often. Verse number 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Obedience. It's the simplest of verses. If you say that you abide in God, then you ought to walk with God. These are the areas that I'm dealing with today. Conversations that I'll have later today. Trying to encourage people, hey, if we say that we are Christians, if we say that we walk with God, if we say that we're obedient to God, then we better be acting like it. We better be doing it. We better be following what God would, wants us to do. We've got to be obedient to God. Verse number 9, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. A letter written to Christians tells us that if we say that we're in the light, but we've got a problem with one of our brothers. This is talking about the Christian family. If you're not loving your fellow Christian, you're in darkness. It doesn't mean that you're lost. It doesn't mean that you're unsaved. It means that you're not in fellowship with God. It means that you are not doing what God desires for you. For God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And if you hate your brother, you're in darkness, which means you cannot be in light. How do you deal with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a grudge? Do you have bitterness? Church is, I love church, and I love our church. Church is a stew of bitterness oftentimes. It just, it just sits there and it boils over because someone gets offended by someone or, or someone gets mad about something or someone gets uh, perturbed about something, annoyed about something. And the next thing you know, instead of, instead of going to God and saying, God, help me to handle this correctly. God, forgive me for those thoughts. God, help me to love that person. We just sit there and we stew over it. And all of a sudden, one day they walk in the door of the church and we sit there and we go, oh, I was really hoping they weren't going to be here today. Or they start to talk and we just sit there and we can't even hear what they're saying because we're just stewing inside over, oh, I can't stand this person. I've been in church my entire life. I've seen it my entire life. God says if you hate your brother, and I know that hate, we use, we say it, hate's a strong word. I just dislike. It's the same thing. If you hate your brother, then, then you're not in the light. You're not being obedient. 
And sometimes we think that in order for me to love my brother, they have to love me. No. It's about yourself. It's not about whether or not they're bitter at you. If I've done something wrong to them, then I better take care of it. But I go, well, I'm not going to love them because they don't love me. Okay, well, you're in darkness. And why would you go around for days, weeks, months, years in darkness when you could be in the perfected love of God? I'm telling you, their, whatever it is, personality, their actions, their whatever, it doesn't need to affect you. I understand why it does, it's natural, but it doesn't need to. Because God can help you. And God can give you victory over bitterness. God can give you victory over anger. God can give you victory over hatred or dislike, whatever you want to call it. God can give you victory over it. And if you do not love your brother or sister in Christ, you are not walking with God the way you're supposed to. And your fellowship is hindered with God. Now we go from obedience to love, right? In verse number 9, it kind of transitions. It's still obedience, but it kind of transitions to the importance of love. Biblical love. Look in verse number 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Listen. The Bible is true. Everything in it is right. And he says that if you'll love your brother... Not only are you abiding in the light, that fellowship is open, but there's also none occasion of stumbling, tripping, uh, falling in Him. That fellowship is wide open. Um, as a teenager, I got a chance to work with horses. And, uh, and, and as a teenager, you tend to like to show off a little bit, especially when more beautiful people are around. And... Uh, so one day I remember me and another guy, we were doing something. We were supposed to uh, uh, run the horses from one section to another. So there's a, I don't know how to explain it in a clear way, and maybe it doesn't matter. But uh, we have a stables, and next to it's a little, little pasture with fence around it and a gate. And then there's another gate. And so the idea was we let them out of the stables, and they run up, and this gate's closed, and this gate's open. So they run through that gate and go where they're supposed to go. Well, we were in a hurry because all the pretty folk were getting ready to leave the area where they were going to be able to see us. So we're like, we better go fast. So we're getting everything ready. We push the horses out. We jump on our horses. We run after them. Well, the wrong gate was open. And the problem with that is, is there's a, a large number of acres there, which would have been fine, except for the gate on the other side of that acreage was open too, which means if we didn't hurry, uh, it would be about, uh, about 800 acres away from us, and that's not where we wanted them to be. So all of a sudden, we were in panic mode. And we already gave up the fact that pretty people weren't going to see us. Now it's just trying to save the rest of our day. And I remember darting through a field, and, uh, uh, and I was on a horse. I was not trying to run ahead of horses, but on a horse and running through this field, and I was trying to take a shortcut, so you got to dodge tree limbs and stuff like that. Well, in the middle of this field is a, I guess you'd call it a ravine, a washout. Water had come and washed out. Uh, and there was, there was large grass and things like that. Thankfully, the horse knew what was there. I did not. Uh, and as he was running, he leapt over the ravine, and I screamed like a little girl and held on as tight as I could till we landed, and uh, got past it, got to the gate, shut the gate, only two horses got through the gate, 
And I just remember sitting there thinking, I think I almost just died. Because going through an area that I can't see what's ahead of me, I don't know what's there that the horse could stumble on. And if the horse stumbles going at the speed we were going, the chances of me surviving or at least not getting injured were very, very slim. And so I learned then to kind of create paths to make sure there was nothing to stumble on. So that if it ever happened again, at least we could see what was ahead of us. And we wouldn't be that concern, that worry of, of stumbling and falling. In the Christian life, God creates a path that is stumble-free. And that path is made through obedience and love. And if we love who we're supposed to love, God said there'll be no stumbling. It won't trip up. What happens is, is when we don't love who we're supposed to love, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts us. And we trip. And we fall. And we scrape our knee or we bump our head. And that's a problem. To be in fellowship with God, we have to love who God desires for us to love. Verse number 11 continues with the thought, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. That's a scary thought. I don't know how, about how you feel about darkness. I like darkness when I'm sleeping. I'm not a fan of it when I'm trying to find something. Uh, nowadays we got phones, so it's a little easier to get a light if you need one without waking up the whole room. Uh, but uh, darkness is hard to find things. And here it says that the person who hates his brother, he's in the darkness, he walks in darkness, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's lost. Ever been lost before? I followed the GPS one time. We were out, uh, before we started the church, we were out visiting other churches, raising some money. And so we were in an area we didn't know where we were. Uh, we were in Illinois, I believe. And uh, following the GPS, and GPS took us down this road, down this road, and all of a sudden it, it just stopped. This was the old Garmin GPS, right? Not your phone GPS, like a Garmin. And... Uh, and we're just out on this dark highway, nothing around, no buildings, no houses, nothing. And I'm just sitting there going, wait, what? Now what? You know, I guess we could turn around and go back, turn on a light and look at the atlas. Young people don't even know what that is. It's a book, the map, you can see the roads in it. And pull that out and try to figure out, get us at least somewhere relatively close and and figure out where we are. But there's a little bit of a helpless feeling there. Um, with jobs that I've had selling insurance, I'd go out uh, past Adam and Cindy's house uh, down to Oneida, 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 I think it's Oneida, is what they call it down there. Um, and there comes a point where the GPS on your phone doesn't work anymore. Like if you got it up, it'll, it'll get you there. But if you have to change something, all of a sudden you got no service. And, you know, the old saying, I heard banjos. I mean, it was, it was a scary place down there. That's how you turn some curves in the woods, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness. These people are a little spooky. And that was just Adam and Cindy's house. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's a spooky thing when you're lost. Remember as a kid, getting lost in the grocery store? It's not that you're lost, you can't find your way to the door, but you can't find your parents. 
First thing that goes through my head is my parents are going to kill me because I got lost. Not I'm going to get kidnapped and or anything like that. My thought is my parents are going to kill me. Of course, it's their fault. They didn't keep an eye on me, but whatever. That's another, another day. Getting lost is a scary thing. Not knowing where you are, not knowing where you're going. Uh, there's, especially nowadays when we're so used to knowing where we are because we have the technology to help us. And now, man, if you get lost, it's in trouble. As a kid, we'd go play on the hills, we called them mountains, uh, in Tennessee. And, and my parents always told us, if you get turned around, if you get lost, just go downhill. You'll find somebody eventually. What a, so peaceful growing up. So much easier back then. Just go downhill, you'll find somebody, tell them who you are, where you're from, they'll get you home. <laughs> you know, if you're on the wrong side of the mountain, it doesn't matter, neighbors should bring you back. Not a big deal, just go downhill. It doesn't work in this situation, right? If I don't love my brother... I'm in darkness, and I'm lost. Not, not salvation lost, but I'm lost. And my relationship with God, it's not right. It's broken. It's hindered. My fellowship with God, it's hindered. It's, it's not where it needs to be. And if I don't love my brother, there I am. I'm, I'm as someone who is in darkness. And I don't know where I'm going because the darkness has blinded my eyes. And it's all because I'm just not loving who I'm supposed to love. And man, we say it and we think, man, that just really sounds simple. You want to be in the perfected love of God? All I got to do is obey. You want to be in perfect fellowship with God? Well, all I got to do is love. But we know it's not that easy, don't we? It is that simple, it's not that easy. Love who God wants you to love. Obey what God tells you to do. And there you sit in the perfection of God. And there you sit where God in His perfect love is caring, providing, uh, uh, giving. He is guiding you because you're in the perfected love of God. But if your fellowship is hindered, I guarantee you it comes down to one of two things, obedience or love. And I think sometimes it's easier for us to obey than love. Now, loving is obedience, right? But I think you understand what I'm saying. It seems to be easier for us. We'll say, okay, God, I'll tell you what. I'll give up this thing in my life that I'm not supposed to have in my life, but I've been holding on to because I really like it. I'm going to give that up, but I'm not loving that guy. Or I'm not loving that lady. I'm not loving that coworker. You can't have fellowship with God. And you think about this book, this letter that's written to us as Christians, and and the the focal point early on in the letter is fellowship with God. He tells us sin blocks us from fellowship, hinders us from fellowship with God. And he tells us, but God gave us the, 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 the forgiveness. If we confess, He'll forgive. And He can do that because He was the propitiation for our sins. And if we've accepted His salvation, now He's our advocate. And and, and if God says, that person's wicked, Jesus says, we've forgiven him. He confessed it. We forgave him. I took care of it. But then He goes on to tell us that, listen, you want fellowship with God? You have to obey. And you have to love. It's not about do you want to obey. It's not about do you want to love. It's about that you have to. 
Have you had that conversation with your kids before? Well, I don't want to. I don't care. You have to. There are people in this world that I don't want to love. And unless you're being high and mighty, I think you would agree with me. There are people in this world that you don't want to love. But God says, I want you to love. And so I'm supposed to. And if I don't, then I'm lost. I'm walking around trying to feel my way through because I don't know where I am. And until I go back to God and say, God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. God forgives me, and now I'm back in the light. And you can walk around telling people, I'm a good person, I'm a Christian, I follow God. But if you don't actually follow God, you're a liar. And God hates liars. God hates all sin. And that's why our fellowship gets hindered. Because God and sin don't have fellowship. We're going to continue looking at this book. This book continues to, to point us where we need to be, to, to, to show us how to live. Love is going to be an important part of this for sure. But we need to understand what is required of us to have fellowship with God. And to put it as simply as I can, it comes down to obedience and love. If God's willing to love me, I should be willing to love whoever God wants me to love. Because I'm not worthy of God's love. Neither are you. So we love because God first loved. He gave us an example. He gave us lessons. He gave us His Word so that we can now go in love. So that we can now walk as He walked. So that we can now obey things that God has told us to do. And I come back to this, this simple thought where it tells us that in verse number 5, Whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. That's where I need to be in the perfected love of God. The completed. That means the fullness of it. It doesn't get any, there's, there's no more love available than the perfected love of God. That's where I need to be. And I can only be there if I keep His Word. If I'm keeping His Word, that means I'm obeying Him, and that means I'm loving the people that God tells me to love. I pray that as a whole, as a church, that we can be that. That we can do that. It's where we receive the most blessings. It's where we find the most joy. Right there in the perfected love of God. Lord, I pray for your help this morning, and I pray that as we take some time to consider your word this morning, Lord, I pray that we would inspect our hearts, and as David prayed, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts, reveal unto us the areas that we need forgiveness. God, humble us that we would be willing to put aside the things that we are holding on to that we know are not right, And Lord, that we'd finally give them to you and that we'd seek forgiveness. And Lord, I pray today as we consider our brothers and sisters in Christ, God, if we're not loving them, today would you forgive us? Would you help us? We need strength to do so.
We need your help to do so. That you'd help us to love one another. And God, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who has not received salvation, that today they've been able to understand it is available to them and all they have to do is receive. Lord, I pray today that they would. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With their heads